Hi, Jim Koshel here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to the Dunn Solutions Podcast, where we're committed to providing cutting-edge industry knowledge for the building contractor and trade professional. Today, we'll hear from Debbie Rosemont. Debbie is a certified professional organizer and productivity consultant who, in 2003, started her company, Simply Placed. Simply Placed is an organizing company that helps to declutter workspaces, calendars, inboxes, and systems. Through Simply Placed, Debbie brings individuals and businesses more balance and control and helps them prioritize the things that matter most. On today's podcast, Debbie will offer tips on how to increase productivity and in turn increase revenue, how to reduce stress, efficient ways to organize your space, how to manage everyday tasks and communication, and how to maximize your daily schedule and gain up to six weeks of your time back each year. For more information on attending future educational events, feel free to email me at jimc at dunlumber.com. If you have additional questions for Debbie, you can contact her at 206-579-5743 or debbie at itssimplyplaced.com. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Okay, great. I just am enjoying this view. What a, what a great place to start your day and a great place for me to speak. So I'll try not to be distracted by the view and make sure to share some good information with you today. So this topic, Organize to Optimize, um, is really what uh, is the impetus to the work that we do with clients. We go into companies and we work with individuals and help them be more organized and more productive so that they have more time for what matters most and what makes them money and what's important to them. And there's some interesting statistics that I've come across over the years. One of them is that the average American wastes an hour a day looking for things they know they have but can't find. So that's disorganization, right? An hour a day, if you add that up over the course of a year, that equates to six weeks of time. So how many of you have something different you'd like to do with six weeks of time in a year than look for stuff? few of you. Good. I know I would. Uh, and another statistic that I read is that the average person has about 37 hours of unfinished work wherever they work. So whether that's in your vehicle or on a desk at an office, but 37 hours of unfinished work in front of them at any one point in time. And that can be distracting as well because it all doesn't need to be done right now. Or maybe it is all high priority, but it's not going to... Um, not gonna be happening in an organized way if it's not organized. So those are the kinds of things that we're gonna talk about today is uh, organizing stuff or things that you need to be able to put your hands on when you need them. And we're also gonna be talking about organizing time and schedule and, and thinking about some systems to help you do that. So are you in the right place? Is this what you came for? Okay, great. Um, as far as organizing your space is concerned, I know some of you do a lot of work out of a vehicle. Some of you have offices where you start your day and where you end your day. And some of you are working in offices or uh, storefronts all day. So what I wanna talk about, the process for organizing your space could be applied to anything you wanna organize. And this includes organization at home if that's something that you're uh, wanting to work on as well. So. The first step in organizing is clearing clutter. 
so clutter is the stuff that gets in the way of your finding what you need when you need it. Uh, a lot of people define clutter as too much, as excess, as the stuff that maybe you found value in at one point in time, but you don't anymore. And by the way, you've got a handout with room for taking notes if you learn best by doing that. So I'm right now uh, at the top of the handout in the section on organizing your space. So as you think about the tools that you use, as you think about the things in your workspace, as you think about your things at home, how many of you know that you have some clutter? Okay, quite a few. It's a common issue, so you're not alone in that. When you're looking at your things, I want you to think about the word value. And as you're making decisions on whether something is clutter or not, ask, is it adding value to the work that you do? Is it adding value to your life? Is it adding value to your clients or your team? And if it's not adding value, it might be taking away or distracting. It might be clutter. And there are things that we bring into our life or our work because they have value now that maybe a couple years from now will no longer have that same value. So I always say that organization is a process. It's not an event. It's not just something that you do once. We need to stay on top of this because our life changes, our business changes, the work that we do changes. So something that might not be clutter today might be clutter a few years from now if we've made some changes. So I think asking that, you know, does this item have value? Is it adding to or is it taking away from? Clutter is different for everybody. And some people have a higher level of tolerance for stuff around them than others. So your space doesn't have to look a particular way. It just needs to work for you. And the purpose of eliminating clutter before you organize the stuff that's there that you need is so that you get rid of that distraction. You get rid of the stuff that's in the way of your finding what you need when you need it. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So after you're, you've cleared clutter and you've gotten rid of the things that are no longer valuable to your work or to your life, then you wanna organize the things that remain so that you can find them easily. So there's a few general principles to organization. And again, I want you to think about whatever space it is you're going to tackle or thinking about organizing, whether that's your vehicle, whether that's some space at home or in an office. So the first principle in organization is keeping like items together. So keeping like items together makes it easier to find that thing or that type of thing when you need it. And it also makes it easier to put it away when you're done using it because you know that that's the spot for this type of item. Everything having a home. So think about things having a particular place to go. That's the name of our company, Simply Placed. When things have a home, again, you know exactly where to find them when you need them. And then also, and this is part habit, you know where to put them away when you're not using them. And by taking the time to do that, and this is a big issue for people, is we rush from one thing to another. So we set something down here for now, instead of putting it where it really goes, that makes it a lot harder to find it when we need it next time. So everything having a home and keeping like items together is the first principle. The second is keeping things close to where they're used. 
So if you think about a space where you work and there's something that you always need with another tool or supply, keep those things close together. If there's something that you always need on a job site, obviously that should be in a vehicle or on a tool belt or close with you so that you've got it when you need it. If it's back in an office or in another van, that's not as helpful, right? So keeping things close to where they're used is another principle to staying organized and being able to put your hands on what you need when you need it. The next thing is keeping the things that are used most often the easiest to get to. So we just had Thanksgiving, that's come and gone. And I was watching somebody take a platter for turkey that they use twice a year away from a pretty prime spot in their kitchen to get at something behind it. And when I asked how often they had to do that, they said, oh, all the time. But this is the spot where that platter goes. So we talked about a different spot for that. If there's something that you use so infrequently, but you're having to move it to get to something else that you use often, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So when you're organizing or reorganizing, think about the things that you use all the time. Those should be within arm's reach in the space where you work. Paperwork or files that you refer to less frequently can be in a file cabinet in a way they don't need to be on your desk. As long as they're organized and you know where to find them when you need them. So you can think about that with the tools that you use, with the supplies that you have. What are the things that you use all the time? Those should be really easy to get to. We don't want to have to take a lot of time to get to things that we use all the time, especially if we're moving things that we don't use very often in order to reach what we need. Does that make sense? Okay, so keeping like items together, keeping things close to where they're used, and keeping things that you use most often the easiest to get to. So you've cleared clutter, you've organized your space. Maintenance. I mentioned that organizing is not a one-time event. We need to keep on top of this. So think about how you might schedule some time in or take some time, whether it's a little bit of time every day to kind of clear the decks at the end of the day and put things back where they go, or whether it's once a week or so, or once a month, and there's sometimes, you know, maybe more like a once a year that we need to go through things and go through that process again, clearing clutter, getting things reorganized so that it works for us at that point in time. So on your handout, if there's an area that you've been thinking about getting organized, you can make a commitment to yourself. I'm all about action. I think learning this this morning is great, but I want you to think about if this has been on your mind, this is a great time of year to get set for 2018. So when is it that you're gonna dedicate some time to organizing a space that's been challenging to you? And go ahead and write that down. I'll give you a moment to do that. So another thing that can cause disorganization is the rapid pace that stuff comes at us. So we have email that's flooding our email inbox. I know that was something that a couple people wrote down in a question is, you know, how do I get over email overwhelm? But we also have things that people ask us to do. We have things we think of to do. We have paperwork. We have voicemails. 
So all this incoming information or incoming requests for our time, we need to be able to triage it. We need to be able to sort out what's important and to prioritize our work. So I want you to think about in the work that you do, I'm guessing there's some processes or systems that you follow to do your work successfully. Systems we put into place so that we can do something repeatedly and get consistent results. Okay. How many of you can think of some system you follow in the work you do? A series of steps, right? Something where when you need to do that thing again, you've got a, a recipe, so to speak. You've got steps to follow, and you know that when you follow those steps in that certain way, you're gonna get good, consistent results. So I'm a big proponent of systems. And I wanna talk to you about a system for processing incoming items. But I'd like to do a quick exercise first. So you have a page of numbers in your handouts. I'll have you take that out. Someone said to me, this isn't very organized, they're not in order. I agree, and that's the point. <laughs> so what I'm gonna ask you to do on this page of numbers when I say so, and don't, don't start before, because that would be cheating. I'm gonna ask you to circle the numbers in numerical order, so you'll find them. You're gonna find the one and circle it, and then the two and circle it, and then the three and circle it, and so forth. And I'm just gonna give you 30 seconds, so do what you can in 30 seconds. And when I say stop, I'll ask you to put your pen down. Does everybody understand what you're gonna be doing? Okay, go ahead and begin. And stop. Okay, so when I ask you to, I'm gonna have you turn the paper over, not yet, because that would be cheating. I'll have you look up here. I want to give you a system for doing this. When we turn the paper over and you're looking for the numbers again, I want you to imagine the paper drawn in four quadrants. And this is going to be a little challenging to do holding the microphone also. But you're going to find the one in the upper left-hand quadrant. You're going to find the two in the upper right-hand quadrant. You're going to find the three in the lower left-hand quadrant and you're gonna find the four in the lower right-hand quadrant, and then you're gonna to return to the upper left for the five, the upper right for the six, lower left for the seven, lower right for the eight, and on and on. Does that make sense? Does everyone understand? Okay, so I'm gonna give you 30 seconds again. Go ahead and turn your paper over and begin. And stop. Okay, how many of you so stop. How many of you improved your results the second time? Did anybody double your results? Anybody triple your results? Okay, that can happen. Four times. Did I see that? Four. Nice. All right. Four X results. So what was the difference in the way you felt the second time you did it? Just shout out some answers and I'll repeat them. Confident. Confident. What else? You knew where to look? Organized. Organized. Smaller search grid. Yep, smaller search grid. Saved you some time because of that, right? Calm. Okay. How about the first time? Did it feel a little frustrating? Chaos. Chaos. What else the first time? Pressure. Stressed. Okay. So 
so the only difference was that we had a system the second time, right? So again, narrowed your focus, gave you that rhythm or the pattern, so you probably got into a groove, there was a little more flow to it, and that's what systems can do for you. You knew what to do, so there was more confidence, there was more calm. So I want you to think about what systems you might implement that aren't already in existence in your business. So for example, a filing system. Do you have a way to organize the paperwork in your business or electronic filing if most of your work is digital? Do you have a way to organize that so that you can save time and save energy and save stress and you have confidence that you're gonna be able to find something when you need it? Okay. Do you have a system for action management or a task or a to-do system so that you know what to do when? You're prompted to do something at the right time. You don't have to have it all in front of you. Okay. Those are two things that we might be thinking about as systems. A system for processing incoming items, all that stuff that comes in at us that I talked about before, the email, the to-dos, things other people ask us to do, the paperwork. I wanna talk just a few minutes about that because a lot of that is just about making decisions and getting things into the right place. So on your handout, you'll see an area that says make one of five decisions, and that's the system I want you to be considering for all these incoming items. So I'll talk about email as an example because that was a common question for many of you. So when you have an email in your inbox, first of all, our inbox does not function very well as a to-do list or as storage. And that's what most people use it for. They keep stuff in their inbox because they're afraid if it's not there, they're not gonna remember to follow up on something or they won't be able to find the information. So again, we need two systems within our email program where we have folders for reference. We can put away things we think we might need to refer to later and we also need some sort of action management system. So if there's an email we need to follow up on, we're somehow prompted at the right time. So making one of these five decisions, the first is can you delete it? So is it clutter? Have you read it and you're done with it? Was it junk to begin with? So that's the first decision is delete. The second is to forward it or delegate. Is this something that somebody else needs or is responsible for? or that could do faster or better than you, or can do for you to free up your time to do the things that only you can do. Okay, should this go to somebody else? And if you're ultimately still responsible for that thing getting done, you can have under your inbox a waiting for response folder. So if you're forwarding something to somebody else and saying, please take care of this, but you need to be able to still have it on your radar, moving it over into a waiting for response folder is one idea. The third choice or decision is to just do it. So if an action, a quick reply, whatever it is, putting something on your calendar from an email or a piece of paper takes you less than two minutes to do, just do it. Sometimes we can spend more time getting things organized to do later than it would take to just get it done now. The fourth decision is to file it for reference. 
So if this email or this piece of paper or this request has information in it that we don't need to act on but we might want to recall later, we need some sort of a reference filing system. So that's usually folders. In Gmail, it's labels. But putting it away for reference later, knowing that you can find it when you need it and it doesn't need to be in your inbox. The fifth decision is to make it a task or get it into your task management system. So think about what works for you. For some people, that is folders again. It could be a folder that says action. And the email goes into the folder and a note goes on your calendar to act on it at a particular time. For others, they might be using a written to-do list. We still need a place to hold that email. So there's a number of things you can do. You can have a tickler system for action set up with an email where you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're putting emails in the day you intend to act on them. If you're using Outlook, Outlook has a tasks feature where you can take an email and turn it into a task again saying what day you intend to act on it. Gmail has a to-do or task feature too. It's not quite as robust, a little harder to prioritize within, but there are ways to make that work for yourself. So lots of options. There are all kinds of apps out there as well where you can say, here's what I need to do and when I need to do it, and please remind me. It's like having an assistant in your pocket. So think about what works for you for task management, but just know that that fifth decision is to get that email or that piece of paper or that Income, incoming request into your task management system. So those are five decisions that if you make them each and every time, will get things off of your desk, will get things out of your email inbox and into the right place. Does that make sense? Okay, and consistency and practice is a key here and a little bit of discipline as well. Right? I know some people will take this and put it on a post-it note and put it on their computer to say, remember, five decisions. There isn't a six on there that says read it and come back to it later. Right? Sometimes we need a little push to make a decision, but it's more organized and it's systematized, which will save you time. I touched a little bit on some different types of action management systems. I mentioned a tickler system. You can do that with uh, paper as well. So you can have folders for the days of the week and then one for next week where you can be putting paper in that you need to act on on a particular day. If you're on the go, that can be something. There's lots of um, options for carrying files with you. And so keeping paper organized in that way that you need to act on works as well. You can go as complex as having uh, 43 folders, one for every day of the month and every month of the year, and dropping something in or putting a note in to remind yourself that, hey, on the 15th, I need to pay this bill or I need to take this action. What you need along with that, though, is the habit to use that system. So some people will set an alarm on their phone to say, check the tickler system, right? One in the morning, one midday, one in the evening. So think about what is it that can remind you to act or to, uh, to move forward on that. And then reference filing system, I touched a little bit on that, folders or labels within an email program, physical filing system. Think about what broad categories apply to the work that you do. Broad categories like clients, vendors, 
finances, your team if you have employees, so human resources, administration. Then within those broad categories, you'll have subcategories. So within clients, maybe it's a type of client that you serve. Uh, if you're in uh, work where you have both residential and commercial clients, that's two types of clients, right? Residential, commercial. And then within those, you might have individual file folders with client names on them. So you start broad, and in a physical filing system, that broad is often a tab on a hanging file folder. And then you go from there to subcategories, and those subcategories can just be manila file folders. So think about starting broad, getting more specific. And with electronic organization, we don't have to get quite as specific in the way we set it up because we have the power of search. So different from paper, you know, if we had 100 pieces of paper and we didn't have them organized, we'd have to sort through them all and find the right one. I'm kind of referring to the paper of, uh, or the number exercise we just did. But if you had those 100 pieces of paper in four different filing drawers and the files were numbered, you could easily put your hands on number 53, right? Electronically, we would just need to know that a paper was titled 53. We could type that in and we'd find it easily. So we can be a little less organized electronically. All right, so think about what you might do as far as reference filing system, task management system, and then being able to practice that make one of five decisions. Okay, I'm gonna have you turn your handout over, second side. So time management, lack of time management is another area where people feel disorganized. They aren't um, feeling like they have enough time to get the important work done. I spoke to somebody uh, earlier who said, yep, I, you know, feels kind of good to knock out all the small things I need to do, and sometimes I want to get those out of the way so that I can get to the big things. But guess what happens? You never get to the big things, right? So if we fill our day just being stuck in email all day, it's really reactive. We're reacting to what other people need from us, and we never have the time to do the proactive work, the big projects, the client development, the things that generate revenue, because we're stuck in the trivia all day long. So I want you to think about and just raise your awareness on what are time wasters for you. When I talk about this, I talk about the 80-20 principle. Who's heard of that? Pareto's principle? A number of you, good. So Vilfredo Pareto was an Italian economist. He lived in the late 1800s, and he studied the wealth of developed nations. And he found that in these countries, 20% of the people held 80% of the wealth. And kind of looked at that ratio in a number of different ways, and it's been studied ever since. So you can probably think about in your closet, if you went to your closet right now, you probably wear about 20% of your clothes 80% of the time, right? As far as work is concerned, about 20% of our activity generates 80% of our results. So if we can figure out what that 20% is and spend more time on those things, we're gonna get better results. 
For a lot of companies, 20% of their clients generate 80% of their revenue. And the 80% of the clients that don't generate as much revenue, sometimes we can spend all our time there because they're often needier. So how do we identify what your 20% is? When I talk about it instinctively, people will usually know it. They know what's taking their time. They know that when they do these certain things that are their 20%, they get good results. I want you to take just a minute on your handout and there's room. Write down what is your 20%. What are the things that when you do them, you get good results? So take a moment and do that. There's also time, or space there to write down your time wasters. What's the other 80%? What's taking your time from doing the 20% more often? So a very interesting exercise, if you've never done it before, is to keep track of the way you spend your time. So a lot of people don't really know, they're not aware of where their time goes in a day. So if you've never done it before, you might consider keeping a time log for a couple of days. It can be a pen and paper exercise. We have one that we'll be happy to email to you. But it's just in 15-minute increments. You're just writing down what you're doing. And if you're on client site doing client work for four hours and then you take a break and do something else, you don't have to write client work or uh, write the project you know, in every 15-minute increment. You just write it once and then put an arrow down. If you're in email and processing email for an hour, you don't have to write it four times in each 15-minute increment. You just put an arrow down. So keeping track of your time for a few days and then taking a look at that, you will notice patterns. And it also might be eye-opening that, wow, I didn't realize I spent that much time commuting. Or I didn't realize I spent that much time in email. Or I didn't realize I spent that much time solving other people's problems where they might be able to solve them themselves. I'm just the go-to person because I'm going to answer it every time. So consider raising your awareness on how you're spending your time by keeping a time log if you're not sure what your 80% is and what your 20% is. And I'd be circling or highlighting the amount of time you're spending on the 20% activities. And you might be surprised how little it is. So it's looking at the rest of it and figuring out how to minimize time spent around those other things. So just that system for processing email and being more organized with email can minimize the time you spend in email because you're making quicker decisions and you're keeping that organized. So if email is in your 80%, it's taking your time from doing the things that are proactive, you can minimize your time spent around it. You might also need to consider making a stop doing list. So if you have so many demands on your time that you're not getting to the things that are most important or that are going to get you results or that are tied directly to your values, then there are things you might need to think about eliminating. We only have 24 hours in a day, right? We can't fabricate more time. We have to choose how we use that time. And when I talk about values and your activities matching your values, it feels good when we're able to do things that tie back to our values. So that might be the values of your company, the values that your clients hold. So if your values are financial security and uh, client service and 
generosity, and family and health and wellness. Then you can take a look at your calendar and how you're spending your time or take a look at your time log and see are the things that I'm doing in line with the things I value or the things that are important to me. And if not, think about how can I eliminate or minimize time spent around or delegate some of these other things. Have you heard the quote before that failing to plan is planning to fail? We can take a small investment of time in planning, whether that's at the end of the day, planning the next day, what are our priorities, what do we need to do, what's the calendar look like, before just jumping in the next day and acting. Having a plan to act on is helpful. It doesn't mean that there won't be days, sometimes many days, where your plan is kind of blown up by some sort of emergency or something that doesn't go the way that you think that it will. But having a plan in the first place can save a lot of time and it can help you be more focused. So think about planning out your day, and that's just 10 minutes at the end of one day to plan the next. Think about a weekly planning meeting with yourself. So whether that's Friday before you leave for the next week, looking ahead, whether it's Sunday and planning ahead, you can do this with family as well. So thinking about meal planning and what's the week look like for the family on Sunday, we try and do that. Who's, you know, we've got teenagers that are going in different directions and we're going in different directions. So what nights are we all home? Who needs rides? What's the, what's the week look like? So taking a little time to plan for your week, whether that's work or personal. And then of course this time of year is kind of a natural time to plan out for the year ahead. So that turn of the calendar, there's something about a new year that's just fresh promise. It, it's a fresh start. And for people that don't plan, and I'm not talking necessarily about making New Year's resolutions. I know that those are a bit overrated. But what is it you want to do differently next year that you didn't do this coming year? What's important to you in 2018? And then how are you gonna make that happen? Because if we just start acting without a plan, we're not going to accomplish the things that we want to. So think about taking a little time to plan. Prioritizing. So another quote that I've heard is, when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. You agree? Yeah. So we need to be careful about identifying priorities. So thinking about all the things you have to do, taking a, a hard look at that and saying, which of those things, when I do them, will make the biggest difference for my customers, make the di biggest difference for me, for my company, or for my life? So identifying priorities also can then tell you what you might need to think about doing first thing in the morning. Because as we talked about before, if you fill your day with the low hanging fruit or low priorities, often we get to the end of the day and we haven't had time to get to the high priorities. So identifying those priorities, scheduling them in. So you can use your calendar for this, but we wanna block out time for the things that are important to us, the things we really want or need to accomplish. Because if we don't identify and reserve that time, someone else is gonna take it. Does that happen to you? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. So 
if something's a priority, figure out on your calendar when it's gonna get done, and then that also helps you say no to other things. Or to ask yourself, all right, I've been asked to do something else, is it a higher priority than what I already have planned? If it is, you can make a change. It doesn't mean that you need to be inflexible. And you know, I have people say, well, I don't wanna be scheduled from you know, first thing in the morning till late at, at night, because that doesn't allow for flexibility or creativity. You don't have to schedule every minute of the day, but these high priorities need a spot in your calendar because you need to be able to say to somebody, I can't meet with you tomorrow at two because I already have a commitment. They don't need to know it's a commitment to yourself. I have an appointment tomorrow at two. Could we meet on Friday at 10 instead? Right? So think about blocking time for high priorities, essentially making appointments with yourself. Because if you had a doctor's appointment at two and somebody asked for that time, you probably wouldn't give it to them unless it was an emergency because you already have an appointment, you already have a commitment to somebody else. So how can you start doing that for yourself? So identifying your priorities and then scheduling time for them. And then honoring your boundaries. Somebody asked about how do I have work-life balance as a contractor? And we could ask that really in lots of professions. But some of it is about setting boundaries. And I, I prefer the term work-life harmony because I don't think we ever really truly have balance, equal balance. I think sometimes work is more demanding and we have to spend more time there. And other times we have things in our personal life that are more demanding or we have health issues or whatnot and we can't give work the same equal balance. So work-life harmony means you're able to kind of go with these ups and downs. But it also means that you are still clear on your priorities and that you have boundaries. So when you say yes to something, you are inevitably saying no to something else. That's, that's just a fact. If we say yes to extending the scope of work for a client and working still under the same deadline, we might be saying no to making it home to dinner with our families on time. Right? So when we're saying yes to something, we are saying no to something else and we need to keep that in mind so you can make, make good choices for yourself. And when I say honoring boundaries, I also mean honoring those appointments on your calendar. So if you're gonna make appointments with yourself to get important things done, and then you ignore them, then, then don't bother, right? So if you identify some time to work on something that's a priority for you, do it at that time. Get into that habit. Does that make sense? All right, I mentioned, and now I'm on the bottom part of the handout, we've talked about planning, prioritizing, and now it's producing the work. So the first thing on there is eat a frog for breakfast. Who's heard that term before? Okay, a few of you. So this was coined by an author and a speaker named Brian Tracy, and he wrote a book called Eat That Frog. And the idea is that if I held a frog out to you first thing this morning and said, okay, you need to eat this today, wouldn't you rather just get it over with and get it down with breakfast than have to stare at it all day long and deal with it later? So it's identifying your highest priority for any given day and getting that done first thing. There's another book uh, by an author named Julie Morgenstern. She's in my industry organization and in productivity. And she wrote a book titled Never Check Email in the Morning. 
for that reason that I talked about before, sometimes people will get involved in email and they never move on to something else. So your highest priority, the one thing that's gonna move your day forward in a positive direction, the one thing that's gonna make a difference to your business or your work or your life, if you get that done first thing, what's gonna happen with the rest of the day? It's probably gonna be pretty productive because you're gonna have knocked off something that might have felt difficult. Sometimes we make things bigger in our minds than they actually are, and when we sit down to do them, it doesn't take us as long or it's not as, not as bad as we thought. And when we finish that, we have great momentum in the day then. We've already accomplished something, something great. So think about eating frog for breakfast. I'm gonna talk a little bit about focus. Being able to focus on one thing at a time I know is not always possible. We have a lot of demands on our time, we have a lot of requests of our time, and when we're in the, in the business of serving others, sometimes we feel like we're having to multitask, having to juggle a bunch of things at one time. But there are a ton of studies that show that true multitasking doesn't really work. When you're trying to do more than one thing at a time to get them done faster, what you're doing, and I'm talking about multitasking on things that you need to think about. So two different things. Maybe you're on a phone call and you're also doing some client work at the same time. You can't pay attention to both at the same time. Our brain just cannot think about two different things at one time. So what you're asking your brain to do is switch back and forth from what the person's saying on the phone and the work you're doing in front of you. So switch tasking is a better term than multitasking. And rapid switch tasking causes stress. It causes cortisol, a hormone in our system, to, to rise, and that feels stressful. We're also more likely to make mistakes. Things take longer, because if we have to stop our brain from thinking about this and switch over to this, we have to put the brakes on. We lose time when we do that. If we can focus on one thing at a time and finish that to completion and then move on to something else, we're gonna save time. And it might not feel like it in the moment because when you're working on the one thing, if you've got all these other things on your mind that you need to be doing and shouldn't I be doing them also right now, that can feel stressful. So this is why I want you to have a plan. This is why I want you to have identified time on your calendar for your priorities so that when you're focused on something that's important, you can just focus on that. And if other thoughts come to your mind or you're trying to hold other to-dos or questions come up, just have a spot to write them down so that you can return to the work you're doing. We need to get more out of our head and onto paper or an app or a system, whatever you're using. Because I don't know about you, but as I get older, it's harder to remember things. And that keeps me up at night. I'll wake up and think about all these things I need to do. Now I just keep a a uh, pad of paper by my bed. I don't even have to turn the light on. I can just grab the paper and write down one word on it that's going to prompt me the next morning to say, oh yeah, I need to do this. And I can go back to sleep. So don't hold so much up in your head. Get things written down and try and focus on one thing at a time. And then chunking. Doesn't sound like a very nice word, <laughs> but it means doing like things at one time. So chunking your activity if you need to go and physically go out and purchase supplies, you know it's more efficient to go out once 
and possibly go to a couple different places and get everything you need than to drive out in the morning to one place and get something and then return to a job site and then have to drive out again and then return to the job site and then drive out again, right? So that's, that's logical that when you have to pick something up, if there's more than one thing and you need to go more than one place, you'd go at one time. But we can also chunk the administrative activity as well. You can check email rather than all throughout the day, periodically throughout the day. So chunk your time. Phone calls. So when you are picking up a phone call, as opposed to placing a phone call, when you pick up a phone call, you are spending five minutes longer on that call on average than if you were to have placed the call. So think about, should you let your voicemail work for you a little bit more and then return calls at one time? Because by doing that, you already know what the person wants or wants to speak about. You've got the agenda, you're in control when you're placing the call rather than when you just pick it up. So if you can do that and return a bunch of calls at one time on a lunch break or later in the day, that's more efficient. So think about what are the activities that you do that you can chunk together. And then I know it sounds like something we teach our kids or do for our kids, but we are motivated, human beings are motivated either by seeking pleasure or reward or by avoiding pain. Okay, that's what motivates us to act. And I think it's a lot more fun to set up the positive and have something to work towards. So if you're struggling with creating time to work on priority work, or you've got a project that you've been putting off, or you're gonna try some of these techniques, how can you reward yourself? Okay. The avoiding pain will be that things won't be slipping through the cracks anymore, and that you're just going to feel more organized and put together and that you'll be of better service to clients and those around you and have more time for what matters most to you. But what could you set yourself up to look forward to for sticking to something that you've been procrastinating on, for example? Has anybody been procrastinating on anything in this room? No, there's not many, I see a couple hands, so not too many. So for those of you, the things that you've been putting off, make a decision to fit them into your week. This coming week, wouldn't that be a nice Christmas present to get that done? Okay, but how can you reward yourself for sticking to it and accomplishing and finishing that thing that you've been procrastinating on? I wanna leave plenty of time for questions. I know some of you submitted them ahead of time and uh, we've got some answers there for you. But let's go ahead now and uh, entertain some questions. What do you wanna know? Anything related to organization and productivity? Yes. So the question was, are there any specific apps that I recommend for organizing email? Um, I'm an Outlook user myself. I know a lot of people use Gmail. Um, both are, are great. Uh, there's different systems in both that you can use with Outlook for organization, it's folders. With Gmail, it's labels. Um, so either Outlook or Gmail are two great programs for, for email. Yes? Yes. 
Yeah, so the question was, um, is there a system for tracking or uh, remembering to follow up on phone calls? Um, so I, I would say, you know, think about how can you implement that in your overall task management system? So what are you using now to remember to do things that you need to do? Are you um, putting a note on your calendar? So that could be one idea for you. So you uh, need to follow up with a client when are you going to do that and could you actually make a calendar entry so that again it's an appointment with yourself to do that are you keeping a written to-do list and so when you pick up a voicemail do you need to make a, a note in a paper planner if that's what you're using to return that phone call are you using an app and i mentioned before there are lots of apps that you can use to keep track of to-dos but you still have to do the entry you still have to get it into that system Otherwise, um, you know, with, with, with voicemail, just something to trigger that you have a voicemail and you need to get back to it. I, I, again, I'm gonna go back to calendar entry. A, um, you could set an alarm on your phone to say, all right, I'm, gonna, I, I'm on a client site right now or I'm with another client right now. I can't do it. I'm gonna set an alarm to remind myself to do it later in the day. What else? Okay, so um, the question was, can I talk a little bit more about delegating work? Um, sure. So my, my rule for delegating is that we, we want to delegate anything that somebody else can do for us when we have the resource to do so that frees up our time to do the things that only we can do. But the things that keep, keep people from delegating more are uh, they feel like they might lose control so any control freaks in the room? I'm kind of one, I'll admit it. <laughs> uh, so they feel like if I want something done, it's best if I do it myself. Okay? So that's, that's one uh, challenge to delegating. Another is that it'll take me longer to delegate this thing than if I were to just do it myself. So that's true if you're delegating something only once. But if you're delegating something that somebody else can do for you again and again, it will save you time in the long run to teach somebody the proper way to do it. So this is again an argument for having systems in your, in your work or your business and having those systems documented. Because when you're delegating something, if you can also share with the person that you're delegating it to, here are the steps to take, you're more sure that it's gonna go well and you're giving them confidence and time saving to have a system to follow. So the steps for delegating effectively are to identify the right person. Okay. Who is it that has the skills to do what you need help with? Identify the right person. And sometimes it might be more than one person if there's something complex. You might have somebody do part of it and somebody else do another part if their skills match with that activity. So identify the right person. Second step is to be very clear on what it is you need done. And when I say be very clear, be clear about the, what the task is or what the project is, what steps they should take if you have done this before yourself and you have a recommended system that they follow, and by when should it be done. 
we get into trouble if we delegate and just assume somebody's going to be on top of it right now. If we're not clear on a deadline or when it needs to get done, then we'll probably run into trouble later. The next step feels a little silly, but I would have that person repeat back to you those things you just shared. What it is they're gonna do, what steps are they gonna take, and by when will they have it done? Because we can say things and somebody hears something different. Have you had that happen to you before? So this checking for understanding, like I said, it feels a little silly, but it's a huge time saver. Because if you're delegating something and somebody goes down a path and spends two weeks on a project in a different direction than you had intended, that's a wasted two weeks, right? And that doesn't do anybody any good. So verifying understanding is that next step. And then being available to answer questions or help problem solve, especially if this is the first time somebody is doing something for you. So making yourself available and talking about how you want to communicate during the process. So if this is something big that's being delegated and it needs to happen over a month's time, I might suggest a couple days in having a time to check in and hear how the start of it is going. And then maybe about halfway through getting some sort of report back on how is it going so that again you know if it's heading in the right direction well before it needs to be done. And then the last step I would say is once something is done, you've delegated, the task has been accomplished, review how it went. See if anything needs to be changed or done differently next time and have a conversation about that. Because then you just make continuous improvement. It could also be that you've delegated something to somebody who has a better way to do it than you had originally shared, and so you can be learning from that too. Does that help a little bit with delegation? Is that what you wanted? Okay. Other questions? Yes. So the question was, does, our, does my company come and assess people's business processes and then give them advice on how to make change? Yes. The answer is yes, we do. So we, we work with um, individuals and companies to help them be more organized and more productive. And process and systems is a big part of what we do. Can we talk about that? Uh, the question was, what's the cost? And the answer is a very frustrating, it depends. <laughs> so it depends on the scope of work. I would be happy, I've got business cards up here and you've got my information uh, also on the handouts and I would be happy to have a conversation with you about that. All right, I'm gonna hand it back over to Jim for some closing remarks. Thank you so much and I wanna... Uh, thank you. Um, I want to say thank you to Jim for inviting me out here today. Um, a great turnout, and I've got a copy of my book for you as a thank you. So that is for you. Thank you.